100 degrees out there today, so I'm thankful for air conditioning in our church campus tonight, right? I'm going to count our blessings on that, so it feels good in here, and I'm glad you're here this evening. We're continuing tonight in our study of the attributes of God, and we're on week eight. Again, this is going to go a while because there's lots of things to talk about on the nature of God, but tonight we're getting to God is wise. And if you look on the front of your handout as we begin, I want us to start with Romans 11. We've looked at this before, but it's just very appropriate for what we're looking at tonight, and it kind of is my prayer and desire for what's going to happen in this study for us. But Romans chapter 8, verses 33, sorry, Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So we start there with that phrase, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. So we're focusing on that wisdom tonight, but realize this is the depth of his wisdom. And so, friends, we, could, we will spend all eternity mining the depths of the wisdom of God. Like we talked about in other attributes, we're not going to get to a point when we're in heaven where they were like, well, I figured out everything about God, I'm done now, I'm going to yawn. Like, we, we will for all eternity be learning more and more about who God is, and that includes more and more of what his wisdom is and marveling at the depth of his wisdom. So realize we're mining for the depth of his wisdom for all eternity. His, the second line there of Romans 11, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And let this humble us as we begin, that as we're trying to get our minds around, last week talking about God's knowledge and now talking about his wisdom, there's unsearchableness to this. God's wisdom is on a plane very different than ours. And this should humble us to realize that this is unsearchable. Our minds will never fully get around how wise God really is. And then also, next to the last line there, for from him and through him and to him are all things. So from him... Just to realize at the outset tonight, everything we have has come from God. That means any insights, any wisdom, any knowledge we have is a gift from God. So even as we're trying to understand the wisdom of God, we are so dependent upon God's revelation for this. Because unless God reveals it, we know absolutely nothing. And so my desire tonight is for us to get a, just a little, bit, a little bit more glimpse of the depth of these unsearchable riches of God's wisdom. So turn the page. Let's make sure we're on the same page of where we are, so to speak, in our, in our study on this is we're looking at the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, two big categories, incommunicable. That's what we looked at for those first several weeks. Attributes of God he does not share with us, things that are completely unique to God. We're now in the communicable attributes of God, the attributes of God that he shares, he communicates with us, but the key word there is in part. We do not have it in full. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them that... Part of the communicable attributes of God is that he's put these into us, people. This is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. There's a lot more to it, but part of what it means to be in his image is that he has put these attributes into us. Therefore, in Ephesians 5, 1, we can be told, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So obviously, like we said last week, I can't be an imitator of God and being omnipresent. That'd be nice sometimes, but, you know, we can't, we can't do that. But we can be imitators of God and being wise. God's a God of all wisdom, and so we can imitate that in the ways that he's enabled us to by seeking to be wise as well. Now, last week we looked at the first of these communicable attributes. We saw that God is omniscient, and we defined that last week. If you remember, God fully knows everything all the time. He knows everything all the time fully. And we looked at it, the, the aspects of that. He, he doesn't know like we know because he just knows. We learn he just knows everything all the time. He knows fully himself. He knows everything in creation. He knows us. He knows our thoughts. He knows everything past, present, future. He knows all possibilities. We talked about middle knowledge. So we kind of unpacked all of that last week. Now tonight we're going to take that one step further because now we're taking knowledge and now applying it to 
wisdom. So wisdom is almost like a subset of knowledge in some ways, but we consider it a different attribute because it's dealing with the nature of his knowledge and how he acts in light of that. So we're looking tonight at God is wise. So there on page two, you see God is wise. Generally, we need to think, what are we talking about this? What is wisdom? Not just the attribute of God, but what does it mean to have wisdom? First of all, you know it's not just knowledge. We all know people who have tons of knowledge, right? Degree after degree after degree after the name. And they are incredibly unwise, right? So knowledge and wisdom are not necessarily correlated. Likewise, some of the wisest people you may know may have never had a formal education. They may not have knowledge in the world's sense of knowledge, but they have a ton of life knowledge, a ton of wisdom. So just to realize at the outset that there is some distinguishing between these two. I'll try to give you some generic ways that people in, as a whole would define what wisdom is. It's the knowledge of what is true and right coupled with true and right actions. So wisdom is not just knowledge. Is knowledge that we act upon, and it's true and right. And again, our culture, they have a hard time defining what that would mean. Next is choosing the best end and the best means to reach that end. So that's the way at least our culture generally would understand wisdom in our language. But what is God's wisdom? When we talk about what wisdom is in terms of an attribute of God, like usual, I want to give you several definitions of what that could look like. And let's start with A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer has this very simple thing about God's wisdom. God Almighty must be flawlessly precise. God doesn't bumble. So that's kind of an interesting way to look at it. God is precise. He sees wisdom as flawless precision here. God doesn't make mistakes. And so God's wisdom means that God doesn't ever go, oops, sorry down there, I didn't mean to do that. God's wisdom is that he never will ever make a mistake. Wayne Grudem, love his definition, says God's wisdom means that God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. God's decisions about what he will do are always wise decisions. As they always bring about the best results, now notice this phrase, from God's ultimate perspective. The best results from God's ultimate perspective, and they will bring about those results through the best possible means. And so he's defining wisdom as goals and means of what God is doing, and it's always going to be best. Not how we define best, and we'll talk more about this, but how God defines things that are best. James Boyce, one of the founders of Southern Seminary, said, Wisdom in God is infinite and unerring, choosing always the best end and the best means of attaining it. It is seen in creation and in providence, but is most significantly manifested in redemption. So again, there with Boyce, you see it's unerring. God doesn't make mistakes. God's not going, oops, man, if I'd only done better that time. God doesn't do that. He's always choosing the best end, the best goal. He's always choosing the best means, and he does this in all different spheres of everything he does. And then I love what J.I. Packer says. J.I. Packer says, wisdom is, in fact, the practical side of moral goodness. As such, it is found in its fullness only in God. He alone is naturally and entirely and invariably wise. So as we think about wisdom, God has it in fullness because that is who he is. So that leads to the question, how do we know that God is wise? Well, again, A.W. Tozer says this way, we believe God is wise because God is God. And I just love that because, I mean, we're talking about the attributes of God. If God is everything we thought about in his being, his holiness, all the attributes, just in his nature, you just assume he's going to be wise also in all that we've seen. But we want to see as well that this is seen in Scripture. We're not just trying to project our traits onto God. We're not just trying to do human, human reasoning and deduction to figure out who God is. He has revealed himself in Scripture and shown us in his divine revelation that he is, in fact, fully wise all the time and perfectly wise. So turn the page to page 3. There's just a sampling of some texts that show us the revelation of God where he shows us that he is, in fact, wise. So once again, we'll start in the book of Job, okay? It's like I've, I think we quote Job every week, right? It's amazing how much of the attributes of God you find in that one book of Job. Job in chapter 9, verse 4. He is wise in heart 
and mighty in strength, who has hardened himself against him and succeeded. So in the context here, Job is stopping to respond to his quote-unquote friend's questions here. And he's asserting who has any way to argue with God. God is all wise. Who can even create an argument that will stand against him in all of his infinite wisdom? Or Job chapter 12, verse 13. With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. Now, again, he's dealing with his quote-unquote friends here. And he's showing them that, that God's wisdom is beyond anything they could imagine. And friends, just like Job's friends, I need reminding regularly that God's wisdom is much bigger than anything I can imagine. We all need that reminder because when we look at life, and we'll talk about this in a minute, and things don't make sense, it's so easy for us to lose sight of the fact God is infinitely wise even in what I'm walking through right now. And we need the reminder like Job's friends needed the reminder. Psalm 104, verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of... Of your creatures. Now, I don't know about you, I don't use the word manifold every day. Is that, is that a word you guys throw around in your everyday conversations? Manifold means many and varied. He's saying here, Lord, as I'm looking at your world, how manifold, how many, how varied are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all, every single one of them. Why are there like puffer fish that swell up and have little points in them? Well, because God is wise. Why are there creatures that live in the bottom of caves that don't have eyes? Well, because God is wise. Why are there billions and billions of stars? Well, because God is wise. And why is our atmosphere the way it is? Because God is wise. When the psalmist is looking out over the creation, he's looking at going, God, as I see all this stuff, I'm overcome by the fact that you are wise. and wisdom, you have made them all. In the book of Daniel, chapter 2, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. So even as Daniel's looking over what's happening in life, Daniel's saying, blessed be God. He's worshiping God. Again, that's what the attributes of God should do to us because to God belongs wisdom. This is God's nature. And, and he sees God's wisdom in, look, in creation, the changing times and seasons. That's God's wisdom. The, the kings rising up and kings being taken down, that's the wisdom of God. The wisdom he imparts to his people. The, and I love that. He reveals deep and hidden things. God knows all. And so he sees in all these arenas of the human experience, from creation to political leaders, everything, he sees the wisdom of God at work in life all around him. Romans chapter 16, verse 27. To the only wise God... Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Even as Paul's praising him, he's saying, God, is he's in this doxology, saying, God, you are so wise, and you're glorified because of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. For the, and now this is just this is a fun one. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. If there was such thing which there's not, the foolishness of God, if that was even possible in God's nature, which is not, that's still so much wiser than all the wisdom of the earth put together. And then Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Through the church, the manifold, there it is again, the many and varied wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And we'll come back to that in just a few minutes. But the manifold, the great wisdom of God, the, the many, the varied insights and wisdom of God is known through the church. So let's just give a few clarifications about what all this means as we try to pull these definitions and ideas together. Number one, God has all wisdom. And when we talked about the other attributes, when we talked about like God is all present, the people, I and I don't know who makes up words. That's a whole thing that we can figure out one of these days, right? But, but who decides what words we, that exist and don't exist in the language? So when people were looking and describing years ago God's presence and where he is, they created a new word, omni-all-present. He's omnipresent. 
Do the same thing with God's power, potent, something that's potent, that's powerful, omnipotent, omnipotent, omnipotent. God's all-powerful. But we didn't do that with wisdom. We really need a new word, omni-wise, because God is not just wise, he's all-wise, but we don't have that word in our language. So if any of you ever have any influence on shaping language development and writing a dictionary, we need to get the word omni-wise or you know, something like that, omni-wisdom in there, because God is all-wise. He doesn't just possess some wisdom. He has all wisdom possible about everything. He knows absolutely everything, and everything he does is always going to be wise. The best ends, the best means, is complete, perfect wisdom. Second of all, he is perfectly wise all the time. We already saw in his attributes before that he's immutable. He is unchanging. That means that God doesn't have good days and bad days. That means God doesn't have wiser days and less wise days. Friends, you and I have days when we make better decisions than others, right? There's some days we look back and we're like, man, God was good to me that week. I made a lot of wise decisions at work this week. There's other days we get home and we're like, man, I was an idiot today. <laughs> what was I think I made so many foolish decisions today. God doesn't do that. He doesn't get in today and be like, oh, man, I wish I'd done some better decisions today. Those really weren't that good. No, I mean, God is always perfectly, fully wise all the time. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He said, if I thought that God were only a little bit wise or even 90% wise, I'd never go to sleep tonight. Because, I mean, what if God had a bad day? What if God made bad decisions? How do we know that even our salvation is secure? How do we know that God is going to keep his promises if he makes unwise choices? His character is such that he doesn't, and thankfully we do not have to worry about that. He is wise perfectly all the time. Number three, wisdom is not an addition to God. It is part of his very essence. Friends, we're not born wise. We grow in wisdom through the word of God and through community and people shaping us and that, and God's work in our lives. God doesn't grow in wisdom. It's not like if you see here's God, it's not like it's an attribute outside of him. Wisdom is at the essence of his very being, like all the other attributes. Go way back to the very first week when we talked about the unity of God. Remember that we, I gave you some different charts, and one of the ones that was wrong was a picture of here's God, and every attribute was like a bubble coming off of it. That's not how it is. Wisdom is not one of the bubbles coming off of it. It's part of the intricately woven part of God's very nature itself. And as such, number four, God's wisdom cannot be thwarted. We cannot outsmart God, nor can we stop the plans that he puts in place. I love what Job uh, 36.5 says, Behold, God is mighty and does not despise any. He is mighty in strength of understanding. God's wisdom is such that no one's ever going to be able to explain something to God and be like, man, that's a better path than I thought. You're right. Man, that was a wise choice. No, he's, he possesses full wisdom and no one can stop his wisdom can stop the application, the implementation of his wisdom. And friends, this is incredibly important for us because he's all wise and all powerful, both. Look at the quote there from J.I. Packer. Omniscience, governing omnipotence, infinite power ruled by infinite wisdom is a basic biblical definition or description of the divine character. Got that? Omniscience, he knows everything, governing his all power which is Paul's there. If we didn't have omniscience and all knowledge governing his power, it would be a scary place. His infinite power is ruled by his infinite wisdom. And in the bottom quote, Packer explains how scary this would be. He said, wisdom without power would be pathetic, a broken reed. I mean, can you imagine while we serve a God who knows all the wise things to do but just can't do it because he's dependent? That's not the case. He goes on to say, power without wisdom would be merely frightening. And that is so true that if God had absolute power but was not good and not wise, how scary that would be. But Packer continues, But in God, boundless wisdom and endless power are united, and this makes him utterly worthy of our fullest trust. And that is so true. So turn the page because I want you just to see a few places of where we see the wisdom 
of God. Because the wisdom of God is everywhere. I just want us to briefly just think big picture. Four ways we see the wisdom of God. Number one, you see the wisdom of God like we saw in the Psalms already at the beginning in creation. Proverbs 3.19. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. Or Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 12. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. And so realize this world is perfectly designed by God. Friends, think about this. If we were one million miles closer to the sun, we wouldn't be here. We'd be fried. If we were a million miles further away from the sun, we wouldn't be here. We'd be an, the earth would be an ice cube, basically, and be frozen. It's the only place it can be to sustain life. God is wise in how he created it. If the earth has that, that slight tilt to it on its axis, if we did not have that tilt, there would be no... So if you just had a perfect straight up and down, there would be no seasons and no change in seasons. God in his wisdom put a tilt to it to give us seasons. But if the tilt was just a little bit more, the seasonal extremes would be so much from the blazing hot of the summer. We think it's hot out there now. Even worse, and the winters would be so freezing cold, life could not be sustained. A little more tilt, life couldn't be sustained. Less tilt, no seasons. God in his wisdom even put the tilt to the earthness. Look at the atmosphere, the balance of the gases. That's the wisdom of God. The fact that we breathe out carbon dioxide and the trees suck it in and make oxygen that we then breathe. How did that come about? The wisdom of God. God is the one who in his infinite wisdom created this world as it is. But it's not just about us because we're not the main focus. We're not the main character. God is. So I think bigger, and I put there in a hint, all of creation, not just our little earth here, all of creation is perfectly designed to bring God glory. He did this in his wisdom. And so when you get home tonight, if you don't have a big street light in front of your house, look up and see the stars. And think about something when you look up and see the stars. We are in one galaxy. According to what I can find from scientists, there's 10 trillion galaxies. Okay, so look up. We're seeing the stars from our one little galaxy here, and we're one of 10 trillion of these galaxies floating around in outer space, okay? In our one little galaxy, and we're not a big galaxy, in our one little galaxy, there's 100 billion stars. Now, I don't know who they pay to count those. Not quite sure how they count those, but about 100 billion stars in our one galaxy. And our one galaxy is one of about a trillion galaxies. So how many stars are out there? And we see those little tiny lights at night. Remember, all those, those little tiny dots of light are bigger than our sun. Our sun is one of the smaller stars in the galaxy, and most are much bigger. So every little dot you see is a sun bigger than our sun. So if you want, if, as they try to figure out how many suns there are in all the galaxies, put the number one and then put 24 zeros after it. And that's their best guess of how many suns, how many stars are out there throughout the multitude of galaxies out there. Why is it out there? Because God in his wisdom wanted to show us his greatness. Why is it out there? Because it pleased God. Why is it there? Because in his wisdom, it pleased him in his wisdom. He wanted to show us how tiny we are and how magnificently big he is. Then in less than six days' time, he can speak 100 trillion galaxies into being with billions of stars and create one comma 24 zero billion stars at the sound of his voice at one time. He's doing that to show us how wise, how big he is, and to bring himself glory. So creation just proclaims the greatness and the wisdom of God. And God's wisdom is not just seen in creation, it's also seen in redemption. Look at the scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 29. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Friends, the plan of redemption itself shows God's wisdom. Who would have invented it this way? What man could have invented a plan of redemption the way God has planned that humbles any human, quote-unquote, wisdom and exalts the wisdom and the greatness of God? It's something that only God could come up with. I love, you've heard me quote this probably on Sunday mornings before, but this quote from John Piper there, and I love this. The wisdom of God has ordained a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. Who could come up with that besides God? I mean, this is the wisdom of God. God looks at his world. He sees wretched sinners like us, but in his, he feels love towards them, and so he finds a way to deliver us from imposing wrath on us and in no way compromises his justice in the process. Who could come up with that? Only a wise God. Now, when you hear that quote, let me just remind us, this is not God's attributes competing. It's not like God's up there going, what's going to win? Wrath, love, you know. God is fully all the attributes all the time. This is not his attributes fighting. This is the unity of his attributes, seeing his greatness. And only in God's wisdom could he find a way for his love to deliver people from his wrath without in any way compromising his justice. So the whole idea of the cross is incredibly wise, just as the hundreds of millions of stars is incredibly wise to show his glory. So is the cross incredibly wise to show his glory as well. Third, what do we see God's wisdom in? We see God's wisdom in the church. We need to remind ourselves the church is God's idea, God's wise plan, not a man-made institution here. And he chose to display his glory to the world through the church. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Fascinating text. Hope we can preach on this one day. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Who are the rulers and authorities? The angels and demons. What's God saying here? He said, the church is such a reflection to even the spirit world, even the angels and demons are looking and marveling at how the wisdom of God is being displayed through the church that he came up with. Again, this is God's idea. Where else do you find a place to where God takes people from different races, different ethnicities, different walks of life, and brings them together, people who have nothing in common otherwise, but brings them together because of the gospel and their bond in Christ? That is God's idea. It shows his incredible wisdom to do what mankind in the normal self and dividing would not do. The gospel and his plan for the church does. Let me quote Wayne Grudem on this. He says, Today this means that God's wisdom <clears throat> excuse me, is shown even to angels and demons, the principalities and powers, when people from different racial and cultural backgrounds are united in Christ in the church. If the Christian church is faithful to God's wise plan, it will be always in the forefront in breaking down racial and social barriers in societies around the world. It will thus be a visible manifestation of God's amazingly wise plan to bring great unity out of great diversity and thereby to cause all of creation to honor him. So we see the wisdom of God in making the, the world and the universe to show his glory. We see the wisdom of God in, in willing the cross and willing redemption. We see the wisdom of God in creating the church to show his glory to the world and even to the, the angels and demons. But number four, there on the top of page five, we see the wisdom of God at work in our lives, don't we? Proverbs chapter four, verse 11. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in paths of righteousness. God's wisdom comes to us and to our own lives as he teaches us. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, a verse you probably all know very well. 
And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, or that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, it doesn't use the word wisdom here, but you see the idea of wisdom here. That God is working to conform us to the image of his son. And he's doing that through all the things that happen in our lives. All things, not something, all things work together for good. Not good as we define it, good as God defines it. And that good is conforming us to the image of his son, that we might worship him and he might receive great glory. But with every attribute we do, I usually have a but wait, right? Here's our but wait for tonight. If God is all wise, why can life be so incredibly hard, right? Probably get this question, you may have thought about it yourself at times. And so to answer that question, we, we need to first of all acknowledge life is hard. We live in a cursed and fallen world. There's trials, there's sicknesses, there's struggles, there's temptation. It becomes so easy to question God. It didn't seem really wise when God gave me that sickness. It really didn't seem really wise when God shut down my company. It didn't really seem wise when I got moved over here. God didn't seem wise and we can start filling in the blanks. We can start questioning. God doesn't seem wise to me when, and we start filling in the blanks on that. But we have to remember that God does not just allow, but give trials. Think back to what we talked about when we were working through John chapter 6 a month or so ago. When Jesus sent his disciples in the storm. Remember from that, that, that sermon from John 6? It wasn't that Jesus discovered they were going to the storm. Jesus sent them intentionally into the storm. And we talked about the application. That says Jesus sends us into the storms and the trials because he has a greater purpose in that. We saw at the beginning the definition from Grudem that I requoted here for us. God always will bring about the best results. But here's the key phrase, from God's ultimate perspective. Friends, the trials don't seem good to us. But from God's ultimate perspective, he's working good in the midst of those hardships. We have a very limited temporal perspective, yet God sees the big picture of his plans. So what is the ultimate big picture in our lives? What's going on in our lives and what he's trying to do in our lives? First, I give us Isaiah 43, 7. Why did he make us? Isaiah answers, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for what? My glory. So to say he created us primarily for our own happiness? He created us primarily for his glory. We are to be a reflection of his glory. We're to point people to his glory. We're to worship him for who he is. He's formed and made us primarily for his own glory. It doesn't say he made us so we can get from birth to death in the safest, easiest, happiest, most comfortable way possible. He made us for his glory, not for us to have the American dream. He made us to glorify and to worship him. And to do that, he works in our lives. What we just saw in Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So God is actively in his wisdom at work in your life and my life as children of God to be conforming us to the image of Christ so that we might better glorify him. He sovereignly uses hardships of life to accomplish those ends. I love what J.I. Packer says here. This is coming from his book, Knowing God, which I commend to you if you've never read it before. He said, here many go wrong, misunderstanding what the Bible means when it says that God is love. They think that God intends a trouble-free life for all. This idea of God's intention is a complete mistake. God's wisdom is not and never was pledged to keep a fallen world happy or to make ungodliness comfortable. Not even to Christians has he promised a trouble-free life. Rather, the reverse. He has the other ends in view for life in this world than simply to make it easy for everyone. What is he after then? What is his goal? What does he aim at? When he made us, his purpose was that we should love and honor him, praising him for the wonderfully ordered complexity and variety of his world, using it according to his will and so enjoying both it and him. It goes back to the Westminster Catechism. What's the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him 
forever. Friends, that's why he made us, and that's why he's actively working through the good and the bad. The Romans 8, 20, the good and the bad. All things in our life, God is at work conforming us to the image of Christ that we might better glorify and worship him. That includes the trials. James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect. You may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So why is life hard? Because God loves us. Why is life tough when we face trials? Because God loves us. And he's using them to conform us to the image of his son, to perfect us here to what James 1 says, so that we're perfectly complete, lacking nothing, so that we might bring him great glory and we might find great joy in the process. Again, to quote Packer, who's very quotable on this topic, he says, we may, be frank, we may be frankly bewildered at things that happen to us, but God knows exactly what he is doing and what he's after and his handling of our affairs always and in everything. And I hope that gives you comfort when you're in the midst of those trials realize that God is not up in heaven surprised by this, but rather he loves you so much and his wisdom is letting you go through this because he loves you and is so incredibly wise. That means you see it there in your handout. So we trust that God's means and ends are best, even if we do not understand. <clears throat> now, before I get to this Tozer quote, i got a picture of an airplane there for a reason. Any of you ever been on an airplane when bad turbulence hits? Any of you ever flown? On, have, Ethan has. Any of you ever been on an airplane bad turbulence? I was flying back one time many years ago to Atlanta, and I don't know what the right term is for the plane. I call them the little puddle jumpers, you know, the ones that are like two seats, about a one-foot aisle and two seats, you know, where it's like tiny, where you feel everything. We were coming into Atlanta, and I think we are somewhere near Tennessee, Georgia border, and we got stuck, in, and it hit a big thunderstorm. I mean, it got dark out. You're watching lightning. And all of a sudden, the plane went boom. And it's just, you know, with the drafts, the plane was bouncing. And, like, people were screaming. I've never been on a plane ride like that, you know. And, and like, literally, the plane was dropping. Stuff's flying. And people were screaming on the plane. At that moment, I can promise you, I didn't be like, this pilot does not know what he's doing. I didn't unbuckle myself, grab the copy door. Get out of the way. Come on, I'm taking control of the plane. Let me get this under control. Like, that would have been idiotic of me to do that. Why? I don't know the radar. The guy flying the plane has the radar. He sees how big the storm is, how long it's going to last. I don't know that. I don't even know how to fly a plane. I don't even know what instrument I should be looking at. But he knows. He knows where all the controls are. He knows where the plane can withstand, what type of wind shear it can withstand. How He knows all of that. He knows the weight load, and he can handle it. No one on that plane in the midst of screaming had the idea, I'm going to fly this plane because we're in a storm right now. But how often when we're in the storms of life do we do that with God? How often do we... Be like, God, you're wrecking my life. This is not how I want. I shouldn't have this sickness. I shouldn't have this hardship. I'm taking control now. And we do that very thing. And Tozer has a great quote on this idea there at the bottom of the page. In his book on the attributes of God, he's writing about God's wisdom. He says, we go to church and we pray to give our heart to the Lord. But when things get turbulent and we run and say, Lord, let me run this thing. That's why we're so messed up in our Christian lives. We're not ready to let God run our world for us. To run our family, our business, our home, our job our everything. And so, friends, I just remind you, next time you're in the midst of a storm of a trial in your life, think of that airplane thought there and realize God sees, just like the airplane pilot when I was coming into Atlanta, saw the radar, he knew what the plane could handle. We landed safely in the midst of all the streams and panics and people who probably never prayed in their lives praying all of a sudden to God, they don't even know who's there next to me. You know, <clears throat> we landed safely because the pilot knew what he was doing, though it was terrifying to us. How much more so the sovereign wise God who is fully wise all the time and loves you as his child and knows every detail of your life. We go back to the, even last week, God knows every possibility. He knows all those things. How much more is he going to make sure his purposes are accomplished for you even if you're in the midst of the turbulence right now? Okay, turn the page there. Number, on top page six, as we're talking about this wisdom of God, realize this is a communicable attribute. As rational creatures who can know, we can also have 
wisdom. Remember, we share his attributes in part. Our wisdom is limited. So what is wisdom for us as we apply this to our lives? James Boyce. Wisdom is that power which enables one to put to practical use the knowledge and skills which he possesses, to choose wise ends of action, and to attain these ends by wise means. So again, in part, we can do, if God's wisdom means he always chooses the right goals, the right ends, and the right means, when we live wisely, we're seeking the wisdom of God to choose right goals we're pursuing in life in the right way to get there. Likewise, Tozer says, wisdom is the ability to see the end from the beginning, to see everything in proper relation and in full focus. It's to judge and view of final and ultimate ends and to work toward those ends with flawless precision. Isn't wisdom when you think about the wise people in your life, the people who see the big picture? They don't get hung up in the problem of here and now. The people who are wise see the big picture. How much more so with God? And so it's communicable. When, when, when you see someone who's wise and they're keeping the big picture in view, it's because God in his kindness has made this communicable attribute and we can share in a tiny part that type of wisdom to see the big picture and to see how it's all working together. As you see here on your handout, wisdom is part of God's nature, but we must gain it. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I just want to give you four thoughts I had as I was thinking through this this week of how do we gain wisdom if it's an area we need to grow in. Number one, we realize it is a gift from God. Friends, we are, like we saw at the beginning in Romans 11, we are dependent upon God. Daniel 2 says the same thing. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. Friends, if we see areas of our life where we need wisdom, we don't try to concoct it up ourselves. It's a gift from God, and we realize at the starting point, it is a gift from him. Number two, first and foremost, we revere God. Friends, we do not go to God to use God to get our our dreams accomplished. It's not like, okay, I don't really want to serve God, but I need wisdom. Okay, God, I'm going to worship you now because I want wisdom or because I need something else. We go to God because God is God, and God is worthy of worship. That's the bottom line of it all. So first and foremost, we're not, we're not going to God because we want wisdom. We're going to God because God is God, and he demands our worship and is worthy of our worship. Psalm 111.10 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. And so we gain wisdom from him, but we go to him because he is God. And out of that fear of him, that reverence of him, that love for him, we gain wisdom also. <clears throat> Number three, if we want wisdom, we ask for it. Pretty simple, isn't it? But we ask for it. James chapter 1. <clears throat> if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That was the promise that ask and it will be given. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is is driven and tossed by the wind. Or Colossians 1, I preached on this a while back. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So what is Paul praying for for the people in the church at Colossae? Asking you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom. Understand, the first thing Paul prays for the, the Christians in Colossae is that they will be filled with the knowledge of his will in spiritual wisdom. We ask for it for ourselves, and we can ask for it for others as well, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So you ask for it, but then number four, you search the scriptures with a heart to obey. Guys, I, I'm, over the years I've been stunned at how many people come to me, Grady, I, I need God's wisdom for this decision or whatever else. I'm asking, well, have you, have you looked at the scriptures? I don't have time to read the Bible. I mean, they don't say it quite that bluntly, but that's what it comes down to. I'm like, so let me get this right. And you, you've told me you have all these sin patterns you don't really care to deal with. So you're ignoring the revelation of God in Scripture, and yet now you want God to give you something different here? Why don't you start with what he's revealed to us? You know, we, we start with realizing wisdom is a gift from God. We, we revere God. We ask for it. But then ultimately, we're also going back to the Scriptures because God has shown us most everything we need to know in Scripture. A lot of those kind of gray areas of where do I go next, those type wisdom issues, we go to the scriptures to see how the scriptures inform that because God will never contradict his word. 
Friends, if we pray to God for wisdom and we have insight, God, give me wisdom. Should I murder that person or not? Oh, God's giving me peace. He's shown me the wisdom. I'm going to kill that person. No, because God never contradicts his word. Now, it's usually not that extreme, but we do that in other ways. God will never violate his word. And so as we ask for wisdom, we check it, what we feel God's leading us, with the scriptures, because God will never lead us in wisdom contrary to what his word says. Psalm 119.98, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. For ever with me, we delight in his commandments and we long to study it. Now, as we wrap up, two cautions for us as we seek wisdom. Number one, if our, if our desire to have wisdom leads to pride, it's not wisdom from God. True wisdom from God leads to change lives. And friends, that includes humility. Look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Or James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. Just listen to the contrast between how the world views knowledge and wisdom and how God does. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, you do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there'll be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. So, friends, as we pray and seek wisdom from above and say, God, give me wisdom, if what happens after we've sought wisdom is we're not pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, friends, that's not from the Lord. When God gives us heavenly wisdom, that means the way we interact with one another, the way that we handle the situation, whatever situation we're asking for wisdom in, means our attitude, our actions will be pure, will be peaceable, will be gentle, will be open to reason, will be full of mercy and good fruits, will be impartial and be sincere. And so, friends, we all need heart checks. I need heart checks on this to when we're in situations and we're asking out for wisdom. Are we seeing humility or is it leading us to pride and boasting? So that's just a caution for us. But the other correlated caution for us is in how we live together in community. And we'll talk more about this in our small groups in just a minute. But be careful not to equate our personal preferences with wisdom for how others should live. Be careful not to equate our personal preferences with how others should live in calling it wisdom. I mean, you've heard it before. Oh, it's so unwise of him to move to that city with his family. Oh, it, it's so unwise for them to put their kids in that school. Oh, it's so unwise for them to pull their kids out of that school. It's not wise for you to go. And so we use this word wisdom a lot in our conversations. We hear others do it, and I think in our own lives we do it a good bit too as well. But a lot, too often we're equating our personal preferences as wisdom. The wisdom that we need to share with others is not what I think you should do with your kids in school or whether I think you should go on that trip. The wisdom that we in Christian community should be doing are not our opinions, but the clear revelation of Scripture. This is the back stuff we've been talking about, even on Sunday mornings, of where there's clear sin issues. Are we going to, in love, go to someone and say, hey, I'm concerned you're making unwise decisions here because I'm looking at God's Word and I see this. Now, when I'm seeing something different. Tell me what's going on in your heart right now. You know, we're using the Word of God, not our opinions on things. The point is, and A.W. Tozer here says, the point is that it's either got to be God's wisdom or yours. It's either God's way or yours. And so, friends, I have people show up in my office and be like, you know, Grady, what do you think is the wise thing for me to do with my child here? What's the wise thing for me to do in terms of this relationship and all that? Friends, if you ever come to me and ask what is the wise thing to do, and I give you an opinion and don't point you to Scripture to search for yourself, you need to argue with me, get on to me, and rebuke me right there, okay? Because what you need when you come see me and you say, what is the wise thing to do, is not me to be like, oh, I think you should do. You don't need to know what I think. 
My job is to point you to say, let's look at the scripture. What's the scripture speak into this situation? What are the principles of God's nature in this situation that can apply to help us think through this? And I'll pray with you to ask God to give you wisdom. If I'm not doing that, y'all rebuke me because my job is not to give you my opinions. Likewise, in Christian community, as you're living together in community, when someone says, what do you think I should do here? Make it your ambition and not tell them what you would do in that situation, unless it's a clear sin, right or wrong but likewise to make sure we're pointing each other to the scriptures on that. So with that said, let me give us two closing challenges before we get to our discussion. The first, and this is that, thinking about God's wisdom should lead us to two things. That's worship and dependence. Back to where we started, Romans 11. Listen to what Paul does once he thinks about the wisdom of God. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him? that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Can't you just hear Paul almost shouting at this point? He is so overwhelmed with the wisdom and the greatness of God. He finally just exclaims out here, to him be the glory forever. Amen. He's worshiping God for God's wisdom, among other things here. And you've heard me quote Rosemary Jensen before, the lady who was the head of Bible study fellowship. She has a great prayer and by its attribute. It'd be a challenge for all of us here. Lord, forgive me for relying upon my own wisdom when yours is readily available. I have not always sought your guidance. I have frequently looked to the world for counsel instead of looking into your word. I repent and I ask you to help me look only to you for the wisdom that I will ever need. May that be my prayer and your prayer going forward that we look to God for the wisdom we need because God gives it, James 1. So turn the back. This is what I want to do in our last 30 minutes together is talk through some of these in our groups. Here's our question tonight. Number one, because God's wisdom is unsearchable, just read that in Romans 11, there, are often, there often will be times when we are not able to understand why God does what he does. Does that truth lead you to hope or despair and why? When you're in a place and, you just, and, and God has not chosen to show you why he's doing what he's doing, and we all, all have those times in our life, does that reality that God's wisdom is unsearchable, that he may not ever show you why he chose to do that, does that give you hope or does that give you despair why? Number two, how should the attribute of God's wisdom encourage us to pray? Because that's one of the questions we ask on almost every attribute, and we'll keep asking, how does this attribute change how we pray? <clears throat> Number three, how should the attribute of God's wisdom affect how we relate to other believers as we live together in community? I've kind of already alluded to that with one of those cautions, but if you go a little bit deeper with that, what are some other implications, or even go deeper with the one we talked about, of how does the, the fact that God is wise, it calls us to ask for wisdom, we can have wisdom apart, how should that impact how we relate to each other in the church, in our life groups, in Christian community. Number four, consider the promise of James 1, 5 and 6. So go back and reread that. How, why do we often rely on our own wisdom and the opinion of others rather than seeking wisdom from the Lord? And it's not a problem for you, but I, too often in my life, when I've had decisions, I'm seeking what I think I should do or what my friends think I should do instead of really waiting on the Lord. Why do we have a tendency to do that when he's offered to give us his wisdom? Number five, and I'd love to hear some of your answers on this because this could really encourage one another because I know many of you may be going through trials right now. Is there a trial in your past that you did not understand at the time, but now looking back, you see the wisdom of God in sending you that trial for your good and for his glory? You're on the other side of that trial. You're on the other side of that storm. And you look back, and you're like, man, I did not want to walk through that at the time, but I see what God did. God got glory out of this. God changed me. And you can look back and give testimony of the faithfulness of God through the trial and his wisdom in it. Encourage one another if you have any of those stories of that. <clears throat> if you are able to see that now, what was it and how did you realize that God was working in that difficulty? What, how did God open your eyes? Number six, how do you see God's wisdom at work in the world today? Really broad question. But when you turn on the news, 
Friends, it's easy to throw up our hands in despair and be like, where's God? But God is at work, even in world events, as he raises up leaders and brings down leaders and what's happening in the world. These aren't accidents. God is, is on the move. How do you see God's wisdom at work, even in the chaos of the world today? And then lastly, what songs do you know that include God's wisdom as you sing about them, okay? So let's divide the groups. So CJ, if you'll get a group going over there. Greg, if you'll get a group.